Dedicated to the health of the people of Kentucky, UK Healthcare provides the most advanced patient care and serves as an information resource. And as part of our communication services to you, we present Advances and Insights with your host, Melanie Cole. The UK Market Cancer Center is committed to developing new and more advanced ways to fight cancer and utilize breakthrough technology to maintain and improve your quality of life from diagnosis to recovery. My guest today is Dr. Suzanne Arnold. She's the Associate Director for Clinical Research at Market Cancer Center at the University of Kentucky Healthcare. Welcome to the show, Dr. Arnold. Tell us a little bit about clinical trials. People hear the word clinical trial and they think placebo, they think it's not something that's going to help me. Tell us what are clinical trials. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for bringing up this important issue because clinical trials uh, is a scary concept when you've just been diagnosed with lung cancer or other cancers. And I think one of the important things to remember is that every drug that is FDA-approved right now that people take on a routine basis was the subject of a clinical trial before it became publicly available. So that's how we make progress and how we actually decide on what treatments are best for people as they uh, are treated for cancer and all other medical diseases. And I think people hear the word trial and they get worried that they're going to be offered placebos or just going to be, quote, experimented on. And I want to allay their fears about that. Clinical research in this day and age is actually a very, very highly regulated and highly protected area. We spend many, many more hours protecting subjects and watching out for their care when they're involved in clinical research than, than people did in the 1950s or 1930s when there was much less oversight by the FDA and the National Cancer Institute and all the, the federal regulatory bodies that, that care for and watch over research that people are going through. So I think it's a time not to be afraid but a time to be excited because all of the new interventions and all of the newest discoveries that are are hitting um, the press now really are living in the world of clinical research, especially in cancer. Well, they certainly did, and clinical trials lead to these life-saving treatments that you're discussing. So how does somebody go about deciding if they are a candidate for a clinical trial? Do they wait till they've tried all of the mainstream options or do they look to the clinical trials as a first line of defense? How does that work? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's a very scary time and you may meet with a multitude of different doctors who are going to be taking care of you. The, the multidisciplinary care of cancer is is standard now. And each of those physicians will probably outline for you clinical treatment options that are best for you. Often in cancer centers and in uh, larger uh, NCI-designated cancer centers, clinical trials will be offered to you at the beginning of your treatment and throughout your life as a cancer patient. Some studies and some clinical research is now being done at the very beginning of someone's treatment. It's not only at the end of an exhaustive list of, of standard treatments. Those, those clinical research questions 
that are beginning to unlock the genes that drive cancer are, are being brought forward into earlier treatments, like at the time of surgery or as a first-line treatment in metastatic disease, because they're being shown to be safe and effective and perhaps even less toxic than some of our standard clinical care that we use all the time, like chemotherapy. So it would not be a surprise to me for someone to meet their doctors, hear about the treatment options, and actually be offered participation in a clinical trial, even at the beginning of their therapy. And that's appropriate in some situations. If they are offered a clinical trial, Dr. Arnold, does then insurance perk up its ears and say, well, this hasn't been tested or we will not pay for this or, you know, because right when you get that diagnosis, not only is it so scary, but you start to worry how you're going to pay for everything. Right. So if you're offered participation in a clinical trial, the very first thing that happens is that you are given the information about the trial and asked to provide informed consent through a written document that is something that you use as a living document throughout the time that you participate in a trial. And within that document will be descriptions of what would be paid for by insurance, what might not be covered by insurance, and what will be paid for by the study itself. And it's very variable as to what what each trial will be uh, will allow and what insurance companies will allow. So we always tell people to check with their insurer before they sign a consent for a clinical trial. But most clinical trials in the majority of cases are actually a shared responsibility where the standard treatment and the standards of care like CAT scans and lab tests are covered by insurance, whereas the experimental agent or the biopsy or the experimental plan would be covered by the uh, the clinical trial itself. But each of those is very different, and it's a very complex, complex field. So what I would tell people is, one, you don't have to participate in a clinical trial, but if you choose to do so, read the consent very closely and also talk to your insurer about whether or not there will be um, unforeseen costs We try very hard in clinical research to not have anything that's unforeseen and try to be very clear and spell it all out in those consent forms. So are there certain people who you're just going to say, Dr. Arnold, are not candidates for clinical trial? I'm sorry, this trial is for like end stage or you're two, you're an end stage and this is for, you know, newly diagnosed. Are there certain things that make you a candidate? Yeah, so each trial has some things that are called eligibility criteria, and we have to to make sure that each patient that's put on a clinical trial meets the eligibility criteria of that particular trial. And what that means is if this is a study that's looking at relapsed non-small cell lung cancer stage 4, then someone that just had a surgery and doesn't have that stage of cancer won't be eligible for that trial. And so we as researchers are responsible for making sure that a person meets the the eligibility requirements of the trial before they're offered that trial. And and that's something that your scientific team and your, your clinical care team should be able to determine for you. It's also important to note that there are going to be people who are too weak or too frail to participate in certain clinical trials, and and that may not be something that that 
everyone's aware of, but you do have to have a certain amount of health and ability to withstand the, the treatment, just like you would for standard treatment when you participate in a clinical trial. Are there such things as placebos now in clinical trial? Do you have control groups, and is there a chance that if you're someone who's been diagnosed with cancer, you could end up in a control group? It would be very unusual to have a placebo group in a clinical trial in cancer in this day and age. The only times that that's actually um, uh, something that could be a possibility would be if there are no known treatments for someone in the fourth or fifth line cancer spectrum for their particular cancer. And if there was going to be a placebo arm, it would be outlined in that consent form. So no one has ever given a, uh, the possibility of being randomized to only a placebo. And if there was a placebo involved, such as if you're receiving chemotherapy and you're going to either get chemotherapy plus a treatment or chemotherapy plus a placebo, that would be outlined in the trial. But it's unethical to provide a cancer patient with a placebo by itself in this day and age. I just don't think it would happen. Um, but that's always outlined in that consent if there's going to be a placebo involved, and that's very unusual anymore. Does being a part of a clinical trial make it so that other treatments are then not an option, or are they still out there, but there might be you know, medication interactions or treatments that don't go with one another? How does that work? So, so when we have a, a clinical uh, trial participant, we outline for them not only the clinical trial options for them, but also we outline for them the other treatment options, palliative care, systemic chemotherapy, radiation, as, as part of that consent process. And I always tell people, if you are participating in a clinical trial and it doesn't work, I'm going to have X, Y, and Z as our backup options. It doesn't really burn any bridges to participate in a clinical trial. It actually offers you the chance at getting some newer medication that might work better than the standard. And there are always backup plans. That's one thing oncologists are really good at is developing backup plans for our backup plans. If something doesn't work, this will be the next thing we try. So I think most oncologists will have that dialogue with their patients and reassure them that they're not burning any bridges. And in fact, sometimes doing the clinical trial first gives them an opportunity they would otherwise not have. That's absolutely great information and so fascinating, Dr. Arnold. In just the last minute, if you would, give patients your best advice about their curiosity about clinical trials and why they should come to the UK Markey Cancer Center for their care. So I think we're in an evolution and a revolution in cancer care in that we are unlocking the secrets to why cancers occur and, and they're very specific. Each person's tumor has a very, genetic, very different genetic landscape than the next person's tumor. And each person's treatment, therefore, needs to be very targeted and designed specifically for them. Individualized patient care is a difficult thing to do in isolation. And a cancer center has a great deal of support and infrastructure to help di diagnose and set up treatment plans that are based on individuals' needs and their genetic landscape. And if I have, you know, cancer, I'm going to go to a place 
where I can be taught, given the newest information, get the best drugs available, and have a good understanding of why my cancer occurred. And I think that happens in big cancer centers like ours. So that's what I think is important. And it's a really exciting time. Cancer is a really scary diagnosis, but there are going to be cures for cancer that no one even imagined 20 years ago because of all the research that's done in cancer. Thank you so much for great information. You're listening to Advances and Insights with the University of Kentucky Healthcare in Lexington, Kentucky. And for more information on clinical trials available at the Markey Cancer Center, you can go to ukhealthcare.uky.edu. That's ukhealthcare.uky.edu. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening. Music.